You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Welcome to Webcology for Thursday, June the 26th, 2008. Uh, this is Jim Hedger from MetaMen.com, joined by Dave Davies from BeanstalkSEO.com. Normally, Dave and I joke around about the news to warm ourselves up and warm, our, and warm the audience up a little bit, but today we have to jump right in. We have a super, super heavyweight in the net neutrality debate as our first guest today, Christopher Wolf from Hands Off the Internet. Now, this is the, uh, the anti-net neutrality debate, and this is a part of the debate you don't often get to hear on a techie, on a techie radio network. Uh, just to give Christopher a little bit of background and some street cred here, he was considered a pioneer in Internet law. He was involved in, uh, in Internet law very early. He's written and lectured widely on the subject. He's an adjunct professor at, of law at Washington and Lee University School. And he's also a lecturer at Stanford University, Harvard, University of Chicago, University of California at Berkeley, Boston University, and at Howard. Chris Wolf is, is chairs the International Consortium of Non-Government Organizations Fighting Online Hate Speech, known as the International Network Against Cyber Hate. And he's also very well known for having represented Joseph Wilson and wife Valerie Plame, uh, during the CIA leak grand jury investigation, he also handled the early stages of, uh, of Wilson and Plame's civil litigation against Vice President Dick Cheney, Karl Rove, and Scooter Libby. Christopher Wolf, welcome to Webcology. Thanks for having me very much. Well, we often do that. Your side of the comes to net neutral on a tech-based radio station. Could you... Very briefly, in what net neutrality you means to handoff.com. Sure, and I think I need to uh, set the stage a little bit to, to have that discussion. It, it probably is no surprise to you or your listeners that now there are estimated to be more than 65 million Americans who depend on broadband for uh, work and for education and for entertainment and communications. 
So the the importance of the internet and of broadband deployment uh, to Americans and to our economy is really not something that's in dispute. And what what needs to be done is that there needs to be even greater investments than have been already made in the telecommunications infrastructure, uh, such as broadband deployment. And our position is really quite simple and also, we think, proven by experience that only uh, without regulatory intrusion into the broadband market is that investment going to be possible and is the needed deployment going to be possible. And that there is no demonstrated need for government regulation. And in fact, such regulation is really counter to the tradition of the growth of the Internet. Uh, and that's why we're called Hands Off the Internet and why we advocate uh, a hands-off government policy. Well, it's interesting. We, we, we did an interview with the, with the rival group yesterday with uh, SaveTheInternet.com, and, and I hit them with this question that I'd like to, I'd like to present to you. Sure. There's uh, two people who are considered grandfathers of the Internet. One is um, named Mr. Kahn he, uh, and Vint Cerf. Now, Robert Kahn and Vint Cerf invented um, TCP/IP, the protocol that, that connects websites um, and, and, and uh, allows a, a URL address to come up. Right. Cerf is pro-net neutrality, while Kahn is anti-net neutrality. Why do you think there's a discrepancy between these two founders of, of, uh, of the tool? Well, it, it may uh, be a function of for whom they work. Uh, you know, I think Vince Cerf works for uh, or consults for companies uh, who see an advantage in net neutrality. Uh, but when you look at the merits of it, I think Mr. Kahn really has the better of it, uh, which is that, that there are skyrocketing bandwidth needs today, and we need to build out the Internet to allow... Uh, video especially, uh, to uh, be able to transit across the Internet. You know, there's some who say the Internet will reach its full capacity within three years. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But what is clear uh, is that we need greater capacity and greater development of the Internet. And Mr. Kahn makes the argument, which I think is exactly right, that regulation with the government deciding who's going to be a winner or a loser or how networks will be managed, uh, inevitably will have the adverse unintended consequence uh, of delaying blo- broadband deployment, and then all of us suffer. Now, I think most people in the tech community understand net neutrality um, to mean that all data is to be considered equal, that uh, networks shouldn't be able to charge more for one set of data than the other. As tech workers, obviously, we're, we're quite concerned about um, a company like AT&T or Comcast or Verizon or, or any of the large ISPs blocking access to private websites at their will. Is, does net neutrality actually address that issue? Well, we're concerned about that, too, and, and we don't think it should happen. And there are, some, there are four basic principles that have been espoused by the uh, Federal Communications Communication uh, one of which addresses specifically the question of blocking, that uh, net neutrality means websites shouldn't be blocked. We agree with that. Net neutrality means that people should be able to hook up uh, devices to the Internet of their choosing. Uh, we agree with that. Uh, we agree with all of the principles, in fact, and where we part company with those who call for uh, detailed regulation by a federal agency of the Internet is that we think there are existing legal tools 
to deal with any uh, violations of those four principles. And I think we're seeing it right now. Uh, you're, you're well aware, I know, given who you are and, and the industry that you, you uh, deal with, of the Comcast BitTorrent episode. Uh, and that's we right. think that's a case that proves our point that they were called on their conduct, whether it was uh, wrongful or not remains to be seen, but they were called on it, and it's being examined, and it will be dealt with uh, under existing legal tools and regulatory tools. And we think that's the way that it ought to work. Earlier this week at a conference, um, Vint Cerf called for nationalization of the Internet. It, would that be an extreme position for somebody who is pro-net neutrality? Uh, I hadn't heard that, uh, and I'm not exactly sure I know what that means. In, in international law jargon, it means expropriation, and it means the government going into the business uh, that is normally handled by private industry. I can't imagine he meant that. Uh, I'm not sure exactly, uh, I know exactly what he means, but the, the fact is that the pipes, if you will, that carry the Internet are privately owned. And they only exist because of uh, huge investments by telecommunications companies. Uh, and our whole point is that those investments need to be encouraged and, and, and they need to continue without uh, being handicapped by unnecessary federal regulation. Many people in the tech community believe that the, the large Internet service providers are making money hand over fist. Is, uh, a, is that true? And B, is there a tremendous infrastructure investment happening right now from the major networks? Well, well there is a, a huge infrastructure investment being made. All you have to do is, is look at the range of new options that consumers have from fiber to the home uh, to wireless and, and so forth. Uh, to know that uh, broadband speeds are getting faster and prices are getting lower. That's what competition's all about, and that's the result of investment by the telecommunications companies. Uh, and that's all happening without government regulation. Uh, and we think it really is part of the proof of our point that the marketplace is working, that there's no market failure that requires government Intervention, And remember that the trend in telecommunications regulation has been since 1984, but especially since the Telecom Act of 1996, towards deregulation, that uh, policymakers recognize that unless there really is a market failure, uh, that they should keep their hands off uh, and allow innovation to occur. And it certainly has occurred. Uh, we're a long, long way away from 1984 when Judge Green ordered the divestiture of Ma Bell, uh, and even from 1996 when the Telecom Act put in place some rules that even today are outmoded. In a non-regulated Internet environment, would it be possible for Congress or for the um, FTC to question um, a large advertising network that is growing into what appears to be a monopoly? Would a breakup of an Internet company be possible in a non-net neutrality environment? Well, I think it would, and uh, I've actually written some papers on, on the issue of whether or not existing antitrust laws uh, apply uh, to the Internet and to the, the hypothetical problems that people are raising in the name of net neutrality, and we think absolutely they would. Uh, and the antitrust law uses... Uh, predominantly uses today what is known as a rule of reason. 
and you look at whether or not regulation of business is necessary to achieve an end for consumers. We think those laws are available if there were a problem. Uh, and at the same time, Congress retains its lawmaking authority. If a problem ever were to develop, uh, Congress has the power to make new laws. Our point is that there isn't a problem today with respect to consumer access to the Internet. Uh, and at a time when the Internet is, we think, reaching its capacity, when video is occupying so much uh, of broadband, when there's a need for bigger and smarter networks, why in the world would the government want to get into the business of what we call ex-ante regulation, uh, regulating in, in anticipation of some hypothetical problem that really hasn't happened? Now, if we're in an environment here where, as you mentioned earlier, where both sides uh, you'd mentioned that you agree with, with a lot of the things the, the arguments of, of the proponents of net neutrality actually are, are making, that, that a lot of the things that they want to see are the same things that you want to see. Um, why, would it, why would anybody be opposed to coming up with some, some sense of legislation then that basically guarantees the basic set of rules that both sides are wanting to see happen in the end anyway? Well, first, I think we are seeing uh, those principles at work. You know, there are a handful of examples which people cite as violations, and as I said, they're being dealt with with existing legal rules. Uh, but there is absolutely no need for a complex set of regulations, which as a Washington lawyer, I can tell you Washington lawyers will proceed to argue about and litigate over and add expense to uh, consumers' cost of accessing the Internet, because the costs have to be passed on somewhere. Uh, there's absolutely no need for that. Uh, given the competitive landscape today and the need for, uh, for innovation. We, we don't make laws just for the sake of making laws. We make laws where they can actually achieve uh, a worthwhile purpose uh, and when there's a need. And our point is that there is no market failure, there is no need, uh, and the adverse unintended consequences of regulation, the cost of complying with those regulations, of fighting over what they mean, eventually will mean that consumers will have to bear the cost uh, both of, uh, of the disputes, but also of the build-out uh, delays that will result. And so instead of broadband costs getting cheaper for consumers, it is quite possible it will become more expensive. So this is really an economic issue. Now, may there not be instances and times in, in this area and, and certainly others um, where creating laws as a preventative measure, if we can easily foresee that there may be problems down the road, that there may be abuses down the road, and, and to set a, a hard line in the sand and say, do not cross this, uh, would there not be a, a right or, or a call or a purpose to providing legislation in advance of the problem rather than as a, a reactionary standpoint if we wait another decade and then start hitting these problems that we could have predicted now? Well, in theory, uh, you, you may have a point, but in application, there's really nothing to support uh, that notion when it comes to network management. You basically, what net neutrality proponents are calling for is the government getting into the business of network management, which is a very complex, uh, very sophisticated, and sometimes very subtle uh, exercise. Uh, it, it regulation would effectively mean that the uh, network provided by broadband providers would consist solely of dumb pipes. There would be no intelligence in the network and no innovation. Uh, and there would, uh, would be a, an advantage given to the companies at the edges of the network for no particularly good reason. That's what I mean when I say the government picking winners and losers. Uh, instead of the marketplace working as it has with respect to the Internet. So 
if there's a demonstrated problem or a realistic threat, then yes, legislation may be necessary. But uh, there is no demonstrated problem, and the handful of episodes that people can point to where they say this is why we need net neutrality are just that, uh, a handful uh, in an industry where uh, billions of uh, communications are happening every day uh, and where uh, you know, tens of millions of people are using the Internet uh, every day. Uh, it is a perfect example of where regulation is not needed, in our view. Um, Mr. Wolf, you chair an international consortium of NGOs fighting online hate speech, uh, the International Network Against Cyber Hate. Right. Do you feel that regulation about Internet bullying might be necessary? Uh, I, I really don't. Uh, uh, there are some members of my coalition who believe that there's a role for government in regulating Internet speech. Uh, I come from the United States where there is appropriately a tradition of free speech, uh, even freedom for speech that we find uh, repugnant. Uh, and I, th I think it may be surprising to hear from a lawyer that uh, when, when people say there ought to be a law, I say probably not. Uh, there, are certain, there are certain content, such as specific threats directed at specific people, uh, that, uh, that is illegal already today in the United States. Uh, but Justice Brandeis put it best many years ago when he said the best antidote to hate speech is counter-speech, and the best uh, disinfectant uh, for that speech is sunlight, um, shining the light on the speech and revealing it for what it is. That is uh, very much the guiding philosophy of, uh, of uh, our coalition and, and of what I do both there and at the uh, Anti-Defamation League where I chair the Internet Task Force. So it's very consistent with my hands-off uh, view uh, to the Internet, uh, the government really shouldn't play a role as a censor, and the government shouldn't play a role in deciding uh, winners and losers and in deciding how networks are to be managed. Uh, this really is something that uh, the Internet community and the Internet industry can work out. Well, as a content creator, I deeply appreciate that answer. Um, now, if regulation was to come to the Internet, and, and uh, this is a very, very hypothetical question, I know it's going to be difficult to answer, but... The U.S. Congress has um, demonstrated on a number of times that it doesn't really fully understand the Internet. Who would be writing these laws? Who would be writing this, this legislation if it, was to, if it was to come to pass? Well, obviously there are a lot of smart people on Capitol Hill, and there are more and more legislators who really do get the Internet. We are all aware of some uh, examples of people who have said things that demonstrate that they don't necessarily understand the Internet. But even uh, for those who do understand it, uh, the issue of network management, of regulating broadband access, of deciding uh, what is or what is not uh, unfair in terms of how a broadband operator operates, uh, is an incredibly complex determination. Uh, and it, it is different than but uh, similar to the regulation of speech, deciding what speech is acceptable or not, uh, is not something you typically want to leave to anyone's discretion. And likewise, in a dynamic, evolving marketplace where so much innovation has happened and, and, and will happen, uh, even the smartest people uh, cannot predict in advance what may be needed for the advances that will occur. Uh, and that's why we really are against uh, wholesale regulation uh, in the absence of any demonstrated need and because of the potential uh, for harmful unintended consequences. 
Okay, Mr. Wolf, I appreciate you're a very busy man, but if we could keep you on the line for a few more moments, sure, I have a couple no, more I'm questions. My you. producer is kind of freaking out on me and wants to go to break, so we have to go to break here on webmasterradio.fm. This is Jim Hedger from metamen.com and Dave Davies from beanstalkseo.com. You're listening to Webcology. We will be back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. When it comes to finding the right customers with the right keywords, all you have to remember is ABC Search. ABC Search is the world's largest privately held pay-per-click network, giving advertisers the best pay-per-click traffic with over 6 billion searches a month and industry-leading protection using ClickShield. Their patent-pending fraud identification software, you can trust ABC Search to deliver the best possible traffic. When thinking about PPC and publisher solutions, all you need to remember is ABC Search. Quality partners, quality search, abcsearch.com. Um, hello, uh, welcome to our website. Website traffic isn't about paying for clicks. Okay, so I, I guess we're going to wait until everyone shows up and then we'll... Uh, um... It's about having the right content. So while you're searching for more traffic, the folks at InfoSearch Media are creating the content people are searching for. With InfoSearch Media, you can get more traffic for less money than PPC. So the next time you need to speak to your customers... Welcome to our website. They're already searching for you. InfoSearch Media. Get content that really clicks. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998 and formerly known as Joe Bucks, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. PPC Rockstars. Get ready to rumble through the latest PPC news and views from around the blogosphere. Learn from our host, David Zatella, and the PPC pros that will take you to the promised land of PPC profit. PPC Rockstars. Live broadcast Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Find Webmaster Radio now on Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter. Add us today from the webmasterradio.fm homepage. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hi, friends. We're back on Webcology here on webmasterradio.fm. This is Jim Hedger from metamen.com and Dave Davies from Beanstalk-Inc. And we're joined by Christopher Wolf from handsofftheinternet.com. Now, uh, Mr. Wolf, if I could just jump right back into this. Sure. Often people feel that net neutrality is a politically partisan issue. But if you look at the makeup of your coalition, Hands Off the Internet, um, it's made up of a, of a number of Democrats as well as a couple of Republicans. Your co-chair is former Clinton press secretary Mike McCurry. Right. My, my question, I guess, is why do people feel that this is a partisan issue? I'm not quite sure uh, I know why. Uh, in fact, when the, when the proposal for net neutrality uh, came up in the Congress the last couple of years, there was bipartisan opposition to it. 
precisely for the reasons that we've been discussing today, that uh, legislating simply for the sake of legislating when there's not a real problem to fix and when the uh, proposed legislation could really impair the further development of the Internet is not good for anybody, Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal. And so I think you see a coalition of people who are, are practical in that way and understand that regulation uh, can be harmful. Uh, so, you know, some may perceive it as a political issue. I really don't uh, and don't think it should be. I think it's, uh, it's really an issue of what's best for our country. Well, do you think that, um, that tech workers who, when, you know, thinking of going to the, the ballot box in November, that they should consider net neutrality when making their choices? You know, I'm not sure that it's going to, I certainly hope it won't be a big issue, uh, no matter who wins the election and uh, which party controls Congress, uh, precisely for the reason that I said, that it's a uh, bipartisan, uh, there's been bipartisan opposition to needless regulation. Uh, so I honestly don't think there's going to be a significant risk. Uh, I hope there won't be if people keep listening to the arguments on the merits rather than listening to slogans or, or uh, hypothetical uh, problems. Uh, so it's not going to affect my decision. <laughs> Maybe I could answer it that way. Now, to, if I can take us back to, to a little bit before the break here, you'd made a comment that, um, you know, hands off the Internet, there's no objection to, you know, individuals should have the right to use the Internet for the way they want. They should have the right to, um, you know, sort of surf where they want, see what they want, you know, within the confines of, of the laws that are in place at this time. Um, if that is the case, then what is the objection to regulating that, uh, to basically saying this has to be the way it is rather than make, leaving it as a, as a, as a free-for-all? Well, the objection is that if, uh, if legislation is passed and an agency is charged with then drafting new regulations to implement the regulations, the, the regulators are going to let their imagination soar and dive and come up with a set of rules which they think anticipates all possible needs and problems. And, and we talked about this before the break. Uh, inevitably, it will discourage uh, further investment and build out of broadband because it will just become so complex. It will certainly add cost to uh, the build out and to the operation. And it ultimately could result in, um, in choking off the innovation which, uh, which is occurring uh, on the Internet. Uh, the broadband operators are doing what they need to do today to allow this incredible transformation that's occurring, the, you know, the convergence of television and video uh, on the net. Uh, YouTube, you know, sends a staggering 1,000 gigabytes of data every second uh, or 300 billion gigabytes every month. The network's got to be able to account for that and to accommodate that. Uh, and there needs to be prioritization for certain kinds of communications. Uh, as I said earlier, I think that the engineers and the companies are doing a pretty good job of, uh, of, of making the determinations. If they have to do that with a regulator uh, writing rules in advance or sitting over their shoulder, it will become much more complex and burdensome and cumbersome, uh, and really no one benefits. We haven't gained anything. Um, but to, I think to, to more directly answer your question, those principles of net neutrality do exist at the FCC. The FCC shown a willingness to enforce them. Uh, on a uh, ex-post basis, as we call it in the legal business, that is, after someone raises a problem rather than ex-ante in advance, it's much easier to deal with specific problems if they occur rather than trying to legislate in a broad way in advance. And that's really our, our main point. 
several people would consider the Save the Internet group a grassroots, a grassroots movement. I don't think the same could be said about Hands Off the Internet, which seems to have a lot of the very big industry names involved. Why is there? Why are some of the biggest of uh, the industry names, some of the some of the Cisco, um, HP, um, etc., on the side of uh, or against internet regulation? Well, there seems to be a very grassroots movement for internet regulation. Does the grassroots not really understand the issue? Well, uh, either they don't understand it or they're choosing not to understand it for, uh, for whatever reason. But uh, if you look at the list of members uh, for Hands Off the Internet, we also have some at grassroots groups, the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation, the National Black Chamber of Commerce, the National Gay and Lesbian uh, Chamber of Commerce. Uh, we do have a lot of companies that are vitally concerned with uh, building out broadband. You're absolutely right. Uh, because they've studied the issue and they know what freedom they need in order to innovate and provide options to uh, to consumers. Um, you know, fear can sell. We've seen that in political elections, and a lot of the groups that are pushing for net neutrality are trading simply on fear and not facts. Uh, and uh, you know, our members, I think, understand the facts. Okay, I, we're we're closing out the end of this segment, but I have one last question for you. What is your worst fear when it comes to um, the, the net neutrality debate? What's the worst possible outcome in your eyes? I think the worst po possible outcome is a law that turns the uh, Internet into a set of dumb pipes uh, that takes all the intelligence out of the network, uh, that takes the discretion and decisions and judgment on network management out of the hands of the broadband providers. Uh, and gives all of those decision-making, uh, all that decision-making authority to government regulators uh, who will make uh, building out broadband much more cumbersome and perhaps even deter the investments that are needed, will make broadband more expensive consumers, slow down uh, the deployment uh, of broadband, and uh, really put a halt to the incredible innovation we've seen on the Internet uh, over the last uh, 10 or 15 years. Uh, that really is my, my greatest fear and why we think the hands-off policy is absolutely necessary if we want to see the kinds of innovations we've seen on the Internet continue. Well, Christopher Wolf, co-chair of Hands Off the Internet, I want to thank you very much for, for spending some time with us here on webcology.com. If anyone interest, is interested in getting more information on, on your side of the issue, where can they look? They can go to handsoff.org, and we have a pretty uh, robust website. We'd be happy to uh, have the visitors. Well, again, uh, Christopher, Law Christopher Wolf, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for having me very much. That was Christopher Wolf, um, co-chair of Hands Off the Internet. And well, Dave, that was, a, that was a great interview. I really enjoyed doing that one. That was really good. And, you know, it, it is really nice to have an opportunity to... to you know, chat. We just chatted with the other side yesterday. It, it is really nice to have an opportunity to sort of hear both sides um, of any issue. I don't know how much it uh, it swayed my my instinctive um, sort of siding on this issue, uh, but at the same time, some really valid points were brought up that are certainly giving me some some food for thought going in. Um, you know, he touched on on one issue uh, that makes me go, yeah, I don't know. It depends how they do it. It's why I would like to see some legislation put in, and that's on the prioritization of communications. If they want to say, you know, as a general, email is going to be given priority over YouTube, 
fair enough. I think you know most of us can agree that you know getting my uh, getting my emails, especially my business emails, is more important to me than watching a YouTube video a little bit faster. But if you're going to say that uh, you know Joe Blow happens to have more money to put down on his internet connection, so he's going to get a priority over you now. Now I have a problem. So it, it depends what they meant by prioritization. Um, but if nothing else, I, I think this interview has given me a great opportunity to, to ask myself these questions and go, what, is, what are they referring to here? What is this type of thing? And what is possible without legislation down the road? Does it really need to be addressed? Uh, my instinct is to say yes, but um, you know, compared with, uh, with the likes of, of Christopher Wolf, um, you know, the amount of information I have on the subject, and I, I'm sure you too, is... is infant-like compared to, to the people who've been absolutely delving into it. So uh, certainly brought up some really interesting questions, and I look forward to, uh, to looking into it. And I know we're going to be doing more shows on this down the road, so uh, really interesting to delve into it further. That was, yeah, absolutely. That was one of the uh, most eye-opening interviews I think I've done in a long time. Um, I've been pretty much for net neutrality for the longest time. But then again, you know what? I read Vince Cerf's comments earlier today while researching uh, questions for this show. And when I, when, I, when I heard that he was calling for the nationalization of the Internet with all the rigmarole that goes with that, um, my blood kind of curled. Like, I mean, A, we're not even Americans. <laughs> and I love, I love messing with American politics from, from, the, from the distance of Canada. Um, we're not even Americans. And he's talking about nationalizing the environment that we work in. Like, oh, my God. Um, I don't know, like Christopher Wolf, I can't profess to say I know exactly what Vint means by that, but, oh, my God. That's, you know, yeah, evidently, we've got to have him on to explain those comments. I think that might be a, a very good idea, because... Uh, you know, I'm sure you, me, uh, I'm sure the vast majority of our listeners hear the term nationalization of, of something as important as uh, the Internet. I, I don't, you know, I live in Canada, so I know what our, our bureaucracies are like here. Um, and, you know, while I, I, you know, love my country and all that fine stuff, um, I wouldn't want to necessarily, private industry handles things pretty well. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think we can all agree on that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, we've had some, we've had a wonderfully controversial guest on for the first part of the segment, and we have an amazingly controversial guest coming up for the second for the second part of our show. We're going to have to cut to break, but our uh, intrepid producer Brasco is trying to get the one and only Marty Weintraub on the line right now. He's going to be on Webcology here on WebmasterRadio.fm coming up in a few moments. This is Jim Hedger from MetaMen.com. And Dave Davies from Beanstalk Dash Inc. We'll be back in just a moment. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Jeez, another year with no refund from the IRS. I got a nice chunk of change this year. I'm buying a new car and I'm going to Fiji. How in the world did you do that? I got in on TaxBrain.com's affiliate program. And it's easy to make big money during tax season just by bringing them other people paying their taxes. TaxBrain.com? How does that work? With TaxBrain.com's affiliate program, I command a huge payday with their nitro payouts. Because I get paid for leads as well as sales. That sounds easy. How do you do it? 
it. They give me all the tools it takes, like dedicated publisher support, analytics capabilities, custom tracking and creative services, and so much more that I need to make money the easy way. Wow. With 140 million households paying taxes every year, I bet there's no shortage of business all season long. Now you got the idea. Make money off the tax man. How do I find out more? Visit taxbrain.com forward slash affiliates to find out more. Taxbrain.com, America's online tax service. A rose by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN-accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R. More than a name. Don't be fooled by your web analytics. If you think your web analytics are giving you all the information needed to manage your paid search accounts, you'd be shocked to see what they're not telling you. How are you tracking sales received over the phone that resulted from your PPC ads? Now, you can track call-in sales by campaign, search engine, and keyword with Engine Ready Call Analytics. Optimize top spending keywords with more accurate tracking and achieve higher PPC profitability. Get started now tracking your PPC call and sales with Engine Ready Call Analytics. Visit EngineReady.com to see how easy and inexpensive accurate call and tracking can be. EngineReady.com. Stand by for the hook. Hi, this is Katie Kempner. Please join me Tuesdays at the intersection of advertising and PR while I talk with my friends, industry leaders in advertising and marketing about the state of the industry today. Live broadcast Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Find Webmaster Radio now on Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter. Add us today from the webmasterradio.fm homepage. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Howdy, hi, folks. We're back here on Webcology here on webmasterradio.fm. This is Jim Hedger from metamen.com and Dave Davies from beanstalkseo.com. And we're joined by the one and the only Marty Weintraub from aimclear.com. Marty, welcome to Webcology. It's a pleasure to be on your show, my friend. Oh, man, we've been wanting to get you on the show for a while, so the pleasure, sir, is all ours. Um, what are we talking about today? Come on, this is, your, this is your segment. What do you want to do? Well, we could talk about our new role as SEO secretaries and limited crawlability experts. We could talk about two controversial social media panels at... SMX. Well, I can't talk about the SMX one yet, but we can talk about the attitudes that surrounded the events in the Give It Up session. We could talk about that wacky and wonderful um, Search Engine Strategies Toronto social media panel that had all the SEO tree huggers twittering about. Okay, well, let's take a step back for a little bit and give a little bit of background here. Marty Weintraub is a social media expert. You want to you get found? You want to have somebody linked to your page or something? Marty's a good guy to write an article to get somebody to, uh, to find you. He uh, has been using the social media to push traffic to his clients frequently, and he was present on two of the most controversial 
panels in the in the last two conferences. Now, as Marty said, we're not allowed to talk about what was talked about at the SMX Give It Up panel, at least not for another couple of weeks. Everyone's going to respect that embargo. He was also on the social media panel at SES Toronto. Now, both these panels have caused an enormous amount of chatter in the SEO world. Could you tell us why, Marty? Well, a lot has been said about the white hat, gray hat, black hat sort of thing. When does a tactic cross the line to being white hat or gray hat? How does that relate to Google's evolving terms of services? And in some cases, um, even the law. Um, Those two panels were controversial because those there thought the tactics that violated Google's terms of services, um, allegedly gray hat, um, were too excessive for the for the um, conference. In Toronto, the panel was controversial because folks were concerned that the social medias were not being treated in holistic enough of a fashion to um, honor the communities that people, um, you know, the inhabitants, the friendly natives, if you will. There's a great amount of debate as to what's okay to do if you're a social media artist. Mm Mm-hmm. What is that debate? Why is there a debate there? Like, seriously, what what have people got themselves in a knot about? Well, first, let's talk about what's white and what's gray and what's black, because I don't agree, or there's very little definition with what's said about exactly what's what. Look, if we could put a group of people in a room and tell the truth and do something, like say you want to put 200 people in a room to do activities that are holistic, and um, really they're rather repetitive. They're visiting places and harvesting content and stuff like that. Um, I see no reason with building a mechanism that will help us gather that information or, um, or breadcrumb our avatar behind or whatever. I think anytime you automate something that people can do when they're following the rules, that that's white hat. Other people say if you um, pull down content for evaluation um, in large amounts and do things with the data, that that's a gray hat tactic. Black hat is when you do vast amounts of unholy things that are damaging to the ecosystem of the search world. I personally saw very little stuff that was damaging to the ecosystem of the search world at either of those conferences. Um, Social communities are really wrapped up in keeping it their own, and as a result, they don't like marketers, and there are bad marketers who mess up social communities for all of us. Um, I would say out of the folks I saw at those conferences, I saw nearly an entirely white hat bunch, beautiful marketers who know what to do where they are. Well, a couple of those white hats took issue with, um, well, some of the comments that you made. And again, I know we can't address what was said at SMX for at least uh, 10 more days. Um, But at the SES session, what could you possibly have said that crossed somebody's spam line? Well, you know what? I am at SES. I'm a little baffled by that myself, though I know the exact statement that bothered some, and I don't think that it was my presentation that was most often spoken about in um, a non-holistic light. Um, What I said that bothered people during the SES Toronto session was I said defending Stefan Spencer, who I think is one of the giants of the natural search search world from Net Concepts and Madison. I said the problem is not having fake avatars. The problem is having fake avatars that don't behave in an authentic fashion. 
Look, it's not your mother's Betty Crocker anymore, Jim. Betty Crocker has 16 different interest areas that appeal to the social community that she's talking about recipes in. Betty Crocker has groups of friends that may or may not know her as whoever is the team that's behind Betty Crocker. Here's what I say to people who are really over the top about using, like, a pseudonym. Oh, my God, using a pseudonym. People have been using pseudonyms to serve the public for the history of humankind, probably. Look, if I can make Betty Crocker, and I can call her Betty Crocker, I don't really have to tell anybody that her name is actually four bloggers in New York and an executive team in London. I can develop her. I can mine buzz pockets in social communities. But the part that I see people not understanding is that manipulating to serve should be the guideline. Look, if I interrupt somebody and stumble upon with a note that says, I really love your content about New York. I really love this particular post that you bookmarked last Tuesday about New York. Thank you. Um, and that person decides to come see my profile and look at my content about New York and click through on that. Okay, so my name's not Betty Crocker, but I just made an actual friend with my avatar. I think that what people take umbrage to about social media is that there's a lot of gray hat and black hat SEOs who create avatars that mean nothing, Jim, nothing, flimsy pieces of humanity that don't exist and suck. Um, I've been trying to talk about solid, authentic, holistic corporate ambassadorship. It's not your mother's Betty Crocker anymore. Betty Crocker has like 16 different interest categories to the point where, where we have strengths help us think them up and profile them. And great, the new corporate ambassador is a very, very deep avatar that manipulates to serve by contacting like-minded people to that persona and offering evolutionary value that may happen to surround um, the product. The new Betty Crocker um, highlights other people's content all the time that is complimentary and non-competitive and sometimes even competitive in a positive way. I think that the argument about corporate ambassador brand stewards is sophomore-ish and doesn't take into consideration the fact that we have the same teams working on serving our customers' clientele that we did when we were making Betty Crocker. <laughs> well, I, I, I think you very wisely point out that Betty Crocker is nothing more than a brand character. She didn't exist. She was a made-up marketing device. But my question to you, Marty, do the new Betty Crockers, do they always tell the truth? Right. They do. Uh, okay, so how uh, about fake news stories? Do the, will the new Betty Crockers make up fake news stories? Hey, wait, let's go back to the always tell the truth part. Does the <laughs> oh, new Betty please. Crocker tell the truth? <laughs> the new Betty Crocker is the same as PR has always been, where you try to match up the authentic value of what your client offers <laughs> with what people are really interested in by highlighting the part of the product that you believe will... Um, result in the constituency being interested. It's no different than you've been doing in your marketing for like your whole career. It's, it's, it's So you don't get anywhere if you market bullshit. 
So if you try to align up bullshit value in your client's product with what people are chittering about in Facebook or stumble upon or, or wherever, then that won't work. Um, your avatars have to match up authentic value with your cu- that your customer offers with people that really care about it. So do they always tell the truth? If they want to stay in business, they find the part of the truth that will, that will help the, you know what I mean, that, that will um, help the customer understand and want to buy it. Brilliant so answer. You talked um, about I guess Linda. My, uh, my, um, one of my last Linda. questions to you is going to have to be, why are some marketers in the social media straying away from that philosophy? Well, Lyndon's my friend, and he's one of my greatest inspirations as a headline writer. My, I met him early in my involvement in our community, and I learned a lot from him. And I respect him as a writer. I, I don't, the part I don't understand is if you don't get all the links when you're done, why would you reveal it? Look, people have been lying on the Internet to get over since the history of the Internet, whether they changed their name to get a date on Yahoo Personals. Hey, everybody thought it was cute when they did Lonely Girl, didn't they? Like, what Lyndon did that was different was he revealed it, and then he rubbed it in Google's face. And I think that's a strategy of diminishing returns. Um, I'll leave the value judgment of truth to, like, my rabbi, because um, I can't judge another person's morals about telling the truth. I can just say that I believe in telling the, the truth. And I, well, I didn't mean to exactly attack Lyndon here, although I'm, Lyndon, I'm no, sure, you knows didn't, you didn't attack quite well him. my feelings about, uh, about, about that, that news story. As a journalist, um, I, I don't see that it would ever be in my personal benefit to outright lie. As an artist, I enjoyed playing Montfleury in Cyrano de Bergerac. Where it crosses the line to lying for me is where you cease to serve your, your customers. You cease to serve the social communities that you're in. So I, I, it's, it's, it's a distressing question. It kind of, kind of makes me sad. I kind of feel like it's distracting from the real discussion of the day, which is how can we make our brand ambassador? How can we do the new Petty Crocker and um, have it be a very responsible endeavor? Because people who buy, like, um, say, high-end cosmetics, they don't care about a guy named Marty Weintraub. But believe me, I could certainly be Penelope Pitstop and be a very vital member of the community, and so could my team. Well, uh, Marty Weintraub from AimClear.com, we got to have you back on the show again. But unfortunately, we have a uh, we have a new segment coming up and a live show coming up at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Thanks, so I'm afraid we're about that. to cut it, it off. Interesting. Thanks. I, it'll be interesting to learn more about the timing of your live radio thing. It's great. It's great being on the show with you, and thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Everybody, that was Marty Weintraub, uh, CEO of AimClearBlog.com. AimClearBlog.com, please. My mistake. I'm sorry. AimClearBlog.com. You want to yeah. read some fun writing, check out the AimClearBlog. Um, this is Jim Hedger and Dave Davies here on Webcology. I'm from MetaMen.com. Dave's from BeanstalkSEO.com. And I'm afraid we have to take it out. Um, please join us next week on Webcology, 2 p.m. Eastern Thursdays here on webmasterradio.fm. And friends, stick around. We've got some more great programming coming up on the network.